So this is the Bonk Bros co- podcast, aka Tire Talk podcast. So I have I have a tire related <laughs> conversation. So this is obviously right, the week of Perry Roubaix. Uh, for those listening, Perry Roubaix, while we're talking about it right now, has not happened yet, so we don't know what happens. It's a European gravel race, <laughs> right? <laughs> the the original gravel race. What up, party people? Man, for a week that seemed like there wouldn't be much to talk about, we ended up talking for well over an hour and had some pretty fun discussions. We talked NCL's inaugural event this weekend in Miami, Perry Bay Tech Talk, speculations on how Lifetime could increase their fan base, a few listener questions, and of course, the Masters. Send any questions you have for the show to bonkrospodcast at gmail.com or hit us up on Instagram. We've got quite a few in the backlog, so it might be a week or two before we get to them, but we're trying to get through more listener questions next week. All right, let's get this party started. Or you, you were watching the Masters? Yeah, I had the tab up. <laughs> Keep they, it. They just suspended play. Oh, well, I was talking about golf. Yeah, yeah. Mm. yeah. The white guys. <laughs> the biggest thing happening in sports right now. <laughs> yeah, you can tell I don't follow golf, huh? <laughs> <laughs> it, no, is it, it is funny that it is funny that you know in cycling, Masters is like you're an old old dude and. Uh, in golf i don't know it's like the pinnacle yeah i guess i've never thought of that (laughs) (laughs) well okay so so this is a cycling podcast obviously and and uh you were like oh you're watching the masters and i was like just watching some masters race online right now (laughs) and then i was like wait a minute (laughs) yeah the ncl the ncl masters race is uh kicking off on friday so just pushing that pre, pre is there is there actually a masters category in ncl or are you just joking no, I, don't, no. I don't think so. no shows how much i follow ncl too <laughs> dude it's the it's the hottest ticket on two wheels this weekend it's gonna be amazing we don't know what it is yet but yeah. i'm sure it's gonna be great should we talk about that should, should that be the first thing that we talk about ncl it'll be a do quick you, do you know not enough about ncl to talk about it because i don't <laughs> sure uh, I know that it's a points. It's a it's a points based system. Mm-hmm. There are these weird pit exchanges that you can swap out riders. Um, I think contractually, riders have to maintain multiple social media pages, and Wait, it's going to really? be on GCS. What? what do you mean multiple? Like they have to have a fake account? No, no, no. <laughs> I mean like they have to have like um, you know like Facebook. Oh, like Twitter, multiple platforms. Instagram. Oh, yeah, yeah. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Uh, is it like the, is it like the Grand Prix where in order to be selected you had to have some sort of social media presence? Uh, I, I mean, I guess, I guess so, but I don't know. I mean, looking at some of the riders that are in on like the two teams that are competing, it's like I've never, you know. I mean, obviously, if you've, I'm sure if you've raced crits, you know who those guys are. But for the most part, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I don't think so, I don't think so. Necessarily. So, so wait, so explain the teams thing because you just said there's only two teams, but I thought there was like a bunch of teams going to be there. So there are there are two NCL teams. There's the Denver Disruptors and Miami Knights. Okay. Um, those are the two National Criterium League. And what is a teams. disruptor? Don't know. Disrupting the chase, <laughs> causing ruckus, bro. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's um, an interesting name. Okay. All right. Yeah, dude. I, th- I think it's a sick name. Yeah. I would much rather be the on the Disruptors than the Knights. 
Dylan, yeah. you should you should adopt that nickname for you personally. You know, you're out for here. Me? Yeah, exactly. Just disruptor, disrupting chases, disrupting I'm not, the. I'm the one disrupting anything, dude. Dude, I heard <laughs> that you disrupted Usui's supply chain because they just like sold out of all their hydration packs this week. Yeah, probably. I put a I put a link. <laughs> yeah, I put a link to the feed uh, Usui pack and. They sold out like immediately, and I realized that I I need one. I need a Usui pack, and I should have I should have gotten a Usui pack before I put out that video. I have yeah. one if you okay. want to if you want to do like a joint custody situation, <laughs> yeah, like a ti- a timeshare for the Usui pack. Yeah, man, I'll make it worth your while. Yeah. All right. We'll so, anyways, get- back to the NCL. So, so there's multiple. There's two NCL teams. Yeah. And then what? They're bringing in a bunch of bunch of scrum to. Well, <laughs> for what? Yeah, there's like um, like CCB is a team. There's there's like all these rules about Roadhouse. Being, uh, yeah, I think Roadhouse is one. Um, I guess we could ask Drew. Huh? He might know. But um, it'd be great to either have Drew or uh, Scott on right now. Yeah, we don't look like a bunch of dumbasses talking about something we don't know about. I am uh, you know Scott knows less than Tyler does, <laughs> dude. No, this is totally something Scott is following for sure. Scott's like he's gonna. Really? He's going to play dumb like, uh, I don't know about NCL, and then he's going to know every rule in the rule book for some reason, <laughs> even though he's not participating. I mean, Scott is skipping this podcast for a, a ping pong game. So, Dude, like, <laughs> I'm not going to lie. That was what I was most excited for about this show, was talking about Scott's ping pong match. <laughs> yeah. He's not even here. Is this well, like- you, you never know. He could show up halfway through and be out of breath from his like epic ping pong finale. Is he? I mean, is this like a is this like a local tournament that he's in, or is he just playing against? No, like dude, his he's teammates? probably playing with his girlfriend in the in the like basement of his house. Dang. Well, hope Megan just waxes him <laughs> in multiple <laughs> games. Um, yeah, man. So the NCL is like they're. It's really weird. I would encourage you to go check out Criterion Nation on Instagram, or they have a couple of shows about about like what they know about the the race and they put them out like this is like two weeks ago and the first race is tomorrow i think and there's tomorrow. really just limited information about what actually is happening other than they have some interesting like some interesting rules i think to make it more exciting so i would uh one of which is like the the rider exchange that you can do which i would uh, like it, it seems like a hockey like if you make a line change in hockey right it's very fluid players come off the ice new players jump on and you can sub players to your advantage depending on you know whatever the the situation on the ice is it's kind of similar with the ncl at least how the rule is played out whereas like you could theoretically have your sprinter um just on the sideline warming up and then have like a diesel engine in the race and then before five laps to go you could sub in your sprinter and then they could just you know torch everybody so dude that's kind of sick yeah it'll be it'll be interesting um Mm -hmm. to see how that system plays out because obviously you know in crit races now you have or usa cycling crit races you have free laps but you can't just like sit on the sidelines until five to go and then i wonder if you can sub guys in for like into a breakaway Mm, yeah that would be interesting i would assume if you had a right there for sure but uh it seems like it seems like they're trying to make crit cycling a lot more like other mainstream sports i mean N- ncl like even the logo and national uh you know national crit league 
it's it's making it sound more like more like football, more like baseball, more like basketball. Um, and it seems I I'm assuming the goal is to make crit, you know, more spectator friendly, get cities involved. Like, Oh, you know, what's, what's your crit team doing? Um, yeah. Just kind of, yeah. I mean, they, they've got, they've got a bunch the of their backers base. are, are like either current or former professional athletes, football and basketball yeah. players and things like that. So I'm sure there, there's some kind of like, um, you know, focus group taking place for like getting insight into how they can make it more spectator friendly and intriguing. I haven't seen Tyler. Is there, is there going to be like, like betting, like gambling opportunities and stuff like that too? On Ooh, the racing? That's a good, that would be interesting. Be. I mean, that would, yeah, I would, you would hope so. Right. That would be bring some money in, but um, Dude, that's like, yeah. the, I, that's the, one of the main reasons why uh, in, I think Japan or Korea or maybe Japan and Korea, uh, Kirin racing is so popular. Mm, you know, the, yeah. the track racing that they do over there. Yeah. Um, yeah. And out of all, I mean, out of all the cycling disciplines, I would say that crit racing probably is the most spectator friendly. Mm-hmm. Um, totally. I and mean, you could, you could argue, argue cyclocross too. Uh, although I, mean, or, I don't or know. Track racing, but track but, racing. But the, the thing that's cool with crit racing is like, you're doing it in the streets. So it's not in like closed quarters, like in a velodrome or something where you have to like actually yeah. either sell tickets or you're limited at what your capacity is. Like, I, I mean, Tyler, you've done like Tulsa tough, like, mm-hmm. you know, they get like 20, 30,000 spectators a night. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that race is just, I, I haven't done a ton of the other major crits around the U S but I mean, it, that one is pretty special just in terms of how many, um, how many people just show up and, I mean, if you've done any type of like twilight or, you know, Saturday afternoon, Saturday evening crit race, like the vibe around those is just so amazing. So having something, yeah, like a in these big cities like Miami, um, I think they're doing one in what DC and Denver and um, some other some other race. It's um, yeah, it's pretty exciting stuff. So I, to your point, uh, you know, crit racing is definitely spectator friendly, but as with most cycling, it's pretty difficult to understand like the sure. tactics and like what's yeah. happening and, and all of that. Um, I did pull up here on another tab, the, the participating teams. So you have CCB. So you have the Denver disruptors and the Miami Knights for the two NCL teams. The other teams participating are CCB foundation cycling, New York fount cycling guild, Goldman Sachs, ETFS racing, Kelly benefits, Monarch racing, Primo Velo racing, Roxo team, Mike's bikes, team skyline, team, super bars, roadhouse and Volare factory. Wow, All right. That's a lot of teams. Cool. So that's Good what, stuff. uh, that's what we know. All, all we'll of equal, uh, like roster sizes, I'm guessing like, or, or do the NCL Ooh. teams have bigger rosters? Well, the NCL teams have both men's and women's teams, um, on them. So they're combined, like, I don't know. I mean, how many people shoot? There's a lot to scroll through here. 30 uh, riders, six, probably nine, <laughs> 12, 15, there's 16 riders per team. So 30, mm-hmm. you know, 32 riders across, across two teams. And that's including men and women. Um, but yeah, there's some, there's some big names, Sergio and now Reinhard van Janssen van Rensburg, who was, I think you were the tour, Leah Kirchman, yeah. uh, just to name a few. So, yeah. And they're, I, I think they're getting paid pretty decently if they're on one of those NCL teams, right? That's what I've heard. I think there's, 
a minimum or a salary that the riders are getting paid. And then I think there's different, um, you know, there's different, I, I would say like prize purses per race. And then for the series overall, mm-hmm. as well as some contingency, um, contingency prize money. If something happens, uh, then, and they hit this target, let's see the quadruple crown is, is one of these contingencies. So it says, if there are at least eight fully participating teams at the conclusion of the NCL cup series and a combined team, a combined team, men's and women's places first in four out of four cup events, along with the men's and women's squad, each placing first in at least one of their individual races, then that team will be deemed the NCL quadruple crown winner and a bonus payment of $700,000 will be. Wow. There's a, there's a lot of contingencies there. <laughs> like, I don't even know if they're going to, they're not going to have eight teams probably. No. Yeah. Seven hundred. So $700,000 that blows lifetime grand prix 250,000 out of the water. The whole they, series, the whole NCL does. Yeah. 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 Um, but that, I mean, what's the likelihood that you have two fully participating teams, like no one gets hurt or, and like, there's still two full teams at the end of these four races and you've placed both of those men's and women's teams have played like all these contingencies is like, yeah, that is crazy. It's going to be really difficult to hit. You imagine if lifetime had all those contingencies, like, Hey, in order to be eligible for if in order for (laughs) Keegan to be eligible for his prize money, like 20 people, 20 men need to finish the whole series in order for Keegan to get his prize money. (laughs) Imagine how pissed he'd be if like somebody didn't show up to the last race. Keegan would be if you flatted Keegan would be just dragging you the whole way like just literally with like one of those tow ropes for uh, for kids he'd have that I mean it, it honestly wouldn't be that way. bad of a of a thing for them to implement like they paid out 20 deep but 20 riders have to finish for that to happen and like yeah. make it so that the 20th place riders gets like you know still gets like 10 grand. It's like, it's still worth their while. Yeah. It's a lot. It's a lot of money, man. Yeah. I mean, I think I mean, they would, I think they would like to do that. They just, you know, right now the 10, I mean, we've got a question. We've got grand. a question for submission from Daniel. That's oh boy. sort of getting at this. Um, right. We don't have to get to it yet, but he's talking about how lifetime's got Buku Dallas to, <laughs> do to play with right now. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, gym memberships are, maybe, up. I mean, maybe he's, uh, he's aware of some, Something that I don't know about what Lifetime has. Yeah, what's what's Daniel talking? What's I mean, it's Daniel's a public question? company. Just, so just go to public dude, records. Just go to Daniel's question right now. We'll we'll go. We'll get back to discussion before we get to more questions. But yeah. since we're talking about it, let's get this to the, I don't, I don't know what the, other discussion we've got, but this is the benefit of being a Patreon subscriber: is you get to interject your question. <laughs> you <get> to, <laughs> <laughs> All right, so here it is. So this one is uh, this is from Daniel, aka Alt, Scott's Alt Gravel account. Um, he says on March 8th, lifetime group holdings incorporated published their financial or fiscal year, 2022 annual report. The company reported an increase of $13 million in other revenue in 2021 compared to 2020, as well as an increase of $22 million in 22 compared to 2021, which was Mm -hmm. primarily driven by our athletic events business as we saw a higher level of event participation and we were able to produce several of our iconic events compared to 2020 when COVID-19 restrictions and 
forced cancellation of most of our events. The company reported $35 million in revenue and $15 million in operating expenses from the athletic events business, which includes media, timing, expo, participation fees, etc. cetera, uh, for the year 2022 with a profit of $20 million for the year. Isabella Heiser, a U23 cross-country racer and the youngest female in the Lifetime Grand Prix, has raised almost $6,000 to fund her participation in the Lifetime Grand Prix, but she thinks it will uh, cost an estimated $25,000 for the year in expenses. Yeah, I would say so. Here's so. My, so here's my question to you. If Lifetime wanted to reinvest the $20 million profit into their athletic events business, in your opinion, what would be the best place for them to spend those dollars considering their stated goal of increasing cycling fandom in North America? Mm-hmm. Should they acquire or develop an eighth event for the series? Should they spend more marketing dollars on social media? Should they support lifetime grand Prix riders on a needs based basis <clears throat> slash support a U 23 development team? Should they better reward lifetime grand Prix athletes on a merit based system where could this money best go to use? Wow. Daniel. Man, Daniel is on it, dude. First of all, yeah. he's coming. his question is coming with the facts, and then his question is, like, really hard-hitting. I mean, I expect nothing. And it's, like, par- perfectly relevant to what we were just talking about. I expect nothing less from Daniel. Um, how would their money best be spent? So, I guess. So, let's go I back. Guess, okay, so let's if, go back. If you want to. Their, their goal. Hold on. Their, their goal here, remind you, is increasing cycling fandom in north america right and it sounds like it sounds like the lifetime grand prix was profitable for them last year highly so yeah because you had to register for every event so they took all your all the (laughs) athletes money but but so like what daniel's getting at is that they made way more money last year so probably due to the lifetime grand prix is is why they're seeing so much extra profit yeah, I, I mean, I, I would guess that participation being up was was a byproduct of fans and just general public wanting to be at the events that all the other pros were going to be at. It'd be interesting to look at the the non-Grand Prix events and see if those events also had an increase in participation or if it was primarily the Grand Prix events. But either way, it doesn't you matter. Know, I mean, that's a huge increase. You know what I wonder? I wonder, I wonder how high the prize money would have to be before you start seeing like big names in Europe come to the U S to do the grand prix. And there are already, there are already international talent coming to do the grand prix. Um, but it's not that many and it's but not, they're not, the they're not the doing it because of the, the prize money. Right. Well, like, right. They're, they're, doing, they're it, doing it because there's other, doing, there's other, you know, obligations or opportunities mm-hmm. with sponsors and yeah. recognition and so on. Yeah. My guess is the prize money for, for to bring over like top level European talent would just be astronomical and not worth it. I mean, maybe let me would, ask you this. Know. What, what other professional sport does participating in the, at the highest level, like, you know, assuming this is the highest level in the U S right. Mm-hmm. What other part, what other sport does participating in it net you a loss? Well, for most riders, it's not netting them a loss because they're getting paid from their I get sponsors. It. I, I, I know. I get that. But you're, me, you're talking about the prize money. Yeah. The prize money from, from winning now, this or year's, doing well. This year, it is, they, they did offset some of the expenses because they're covering entry fees for the Lifetime Grand Prix riders. Yeah. Um, but, but even Keegan, if you t- look at his... Uh, like, let's just say that Keegan wins this year. Forget about... Uh, so even Keegan, if he wins, 
he's going to have spent more money uh, on travel and hotels and rental cars and all that than he won. I mean, he, he, there's, he for sure spent more than 25 grand last year and probably this year too. So yeah. Yeah. And, and, and again, we're talking at the highest level. Okay. So like, for example, in golf, if you're not top 200 in the world, Mm-hmm. You're probably like best at best, maybe maybe breaking even some years. Sure. Uh, maybe top 200 is a little, probably say top 500. Okay, but mm-hmm. that's like internationally. Um, mm-hmm. Everyone below that, like you know, they might be making you know bringing in four or five hundred thousand dollars, but they're also expending that. Um, yeah, you know, it's so like if you're just looking at the revenue from the tournament earnings, it's like maybe a net wash. Um, but they're not the best of the best. I mean, like we're talking about Keegan Swenson and you know. Well, Keegan Swenson's not the best of the best either. In the U.S. He's the best of the U.S. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so how many, can you break that down in golf in the U.S.? Like, do you know how many golfers in the U.S. are, are, like, how far down in golf in the U.S. do you have to go before people aren't breaking Yeah, probably, like, yeah, probably two or three hundred. Okay. Before it's like, I mean, relatively breaking even. Here's the thing. People always. that's without any sponsor support, right? Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. People always compare sports to other sports. Like the entire time I've been cycling, everybody always compares cycling to football or golf or basketball or whatever. Uh, no one ever compares cycling to, I don't know, curling. Maybe curling's <laughs> doing better than cycling. I don't know, dude. <laughs> but there are for sure sports that are doing even worse than cycling's doing. It's just all about how popular the sport is. And I don't know. People can, people can like, isn't isn't bicycling so not not talking about bike racing but bicycling in general like isn't it one of the most like popular activities in the world <sighs> i would imagine so but most of that is people either i, do. I don't know commuting or just trying uh, to get some exercise popular. okay but like think think about football how many people do you know as adults that play football yeah i mean i i think it i you know you're confusing like what people want to do for leisure and what people want to watch like no one races F1 except for the F1 drivers. So there's 20 people in the whole world, but a lot right. of people so want to watch it. So that's where I think like the NCL, like I think that's what they're trying to do is they're trying to create that fan culture. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I think that, I think that they have the potential to do that. So, you know, like going back to like the lifetime grand prix, their biggest incentive is boosting their participation in their events. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, they're I mean, not spectator-friendly sports yeah. for the most, or, or even, disciplines for the most part. Even though the lifetime events are not spectator-friendly, I think uh, I think that I think that they have done. They've certainly. I, I think they have increased fandom at least a little bit, and it probably probably a somewhat significant amount since last year. There are a lot of you know a lot of people don't care about the lifetime Grand Prix at all, and that's fine. But there are a lot of people really tuned in to the Grand Prix, um, much much more totally. so than any series that I've ever witnessed in the U.S. in my lifetime. So yeah, I 100 percent agree, and I think like I think ditching the live streaming, like I don't think that really hurts the following or you know the, mm-hmm. the fandom aspect because that's what that's what i mean by like they're not spectator friendly like not too many people are going to sit down and watch eight or ten hours of uh yeah unbound yeah um i think you know i think doing that docuseries was was a good way to do it i mean it kind of summarized everything it was easy to watch and 
So, okay, let's get back to the question. How, what is the best way for them to spend their dollars? Do they eat, do they increase the prize money? Do they just pay writers to, to do the series? Do they, I don't know, do something else at another race? Um, do you think I see the thing with increasing the prize money is I feel like every fast U S cyclist that would even consider doing the series is already doing it. And and then the question becomes, how much do you have to increase the prize money to get European talent? And I think the answer to that is way too much for it to be feasible. I don't know what you guys think about do you, that. Do, do you think they're, do you think the, the U.S. leaders of the group are in opposition of that happening anyways? Uh, like, like the fast riders in the U.S. don't want fast European talent to come? Is that what you're saying yes. right now? <laughs> <laughs> I mean... Yeah, I mean, because they're you know, then they and maybe even the industry industry leaders too, who you know, who sponsor those riders. I guess that's a good point. Um, I I don't know if I don't know if they I don't know if they think that way, but I think that if enough European talent came over, that they weren't that they all of a sudden weren't winning races. Like just take Keegan for example. If enough European talent came over, that all of a sudden Keegan wasn't winning races. uh, I don't think I don't. I mean it sucks to not win races anymore when you've been winning races all the time. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know either, so. either way. I, I, I think like, I don't know. I, I think giving some kickback to the riders would, would be one, I mean like deserving, mm-hmm. um, you know, so how would they to, go about doing that? Are they, would they give money to riders that they feel genuinely need it, Like Isabella, or would they, give money to riders that they think are going to do well or have placed high last year or cause there are um, riders that genuinely need the money. And then there are riders that they're already doing fine. Yeah. But that's, you know that's I mean? how it always is though. That's how it always right. goes. Like, so, so how do you like, what, what, are, how are they going to distribute that money? Like what, you know, how are they going to decide who gets that money or is it just even like if you, if you make it into the grand prix, here's a $10,000 budget or here's $10,000 to help get you to the races. Like congrats on making it in. Yeah. I think, I think that, that could be one it's also, way. It's also a lot of money to give to some um, people, but <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, that's for each field, that's more money than the, right. the price total price per for both fields. <laughs> yeah. Right. Exactly. Um, I mean, I don't know that I see that happening, but I think, I mean, you, you increase the prize purse overall, maybe you make it a little bit deeper, you know, instead of 10 deep, maybe it's 15 deep. And hopefully that's enough incentive that everyone trains even harder and, you know, stays in the series longer. You know, they're not going to just duck out of the series if they have a bad race or two. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's, I I just think that if you want to keep the top riders around, like what happens when, when two or three years from now, if if gravel tanks and, you know, riders start, you know, looking elsewhere. What about doing massive, like big prize money at individual races in the grand prix um because just as an example unbound still doesn't have prize money uh and it's arguably the most prestigious race in the in the series yeah. what what about having five grand for the win at unbound for both the men and the women like do you think that would help uh i mean i mean yeah again that's like a, that's another way of like incentivizing the the riders to show up and to stick around in the series mm-hmm. um you know, Schwamigan had a prize payout. I think Big Sugar had a prize payout. Yeah. Um, trying to think of anything 
Crusher, I think, had a, did they have a prize payout? I'm not sure. I didn't do well. Now, I don't of, know if anyone, like, <laughs> well bases their season. I, I, I don't know if anyone, like, bases their season around which events or have the, the payouts or if they just base it on which events they think they have the best chance of performing well at. Yeah. What do you think, Tyler? I don't think that paying the, the talent, so to speak, is going to help them grow fandom in the U.S., right? They, that was a question, right? Like, how mm-hmm. do, how do, if you're a lifetime, how do you invest your money to ideally make more money? Um, mm-hmm. And I don't know, like, I, I mean, what are, one, what other series is offering you that much money to begin with in, in a prize purse that goes 10 deep? You know, like, you can't go race maybe if you were on the on the top uh top team top crit team in the US you could probably make equivalent money from just prize prize money racing crits throughout the US but you know gravel is just like the hot new thing right now and so if you have a chance to win win that prize purse already like you're probably going to you know you're probably going to be going there anyways i think if they want to grow cycling fandom you have to figure out ways to make it more palatable to the u.s uh audience or whatever audience you're marketing to so if you wanted an international market like open it up to open it up to sports gambling that was brought up earlier about the ncl like dude if you get people spending money on on betting on who's going to win what race like that's a huge influx of of cash that's coming in yeah into the sport and additionally too like the you know the youtube series was great it was it was fun to watch you know, the episodes were short enough that, um, you know, you could rip through a couple, uh, pretty quickly and then, you know, go on to the, go on with your life. Um, but finding ways that you can actually like make it palatable for the U S market to pay attention to what's happening or to want to be invested in like, you know, after sea otter, they're looking at the results. So they're trying to figure out what happened and then plan yeah. for the next thing. Like you have to invest in a way. And I don't know if that's, you know, do you pick up another event to that's on the East coast to maybe draw more people that, that come in from there? Like, or do you just try to find ways to make the racing a little more engaging? You know, do you have short circuit courses and, you know, in race cameras or, you know, all the kind of technology aspects that, that go into that production of the race to make it something to follow? Um, I don't know. I, I, I think like, I don't think that investing necessarily in a prize purse is going to increase fandom because I think at a certain point, like particularly, I feel like we saw this with cross where we had world cups, right. And it was such a big deal that, you know, Vegas was a world cup and then jingle cross was a world cup. And Oh my God, there's these top European riders. But after like two years, it was like, eh, okay. Yeah. Like I see yeah. these guys every year. And so what do I care? The cream, and, the and cream of the a lot of them, in, the cream of the crop like, in like, off-road racing is already doing the Grand Prix. So yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, and, and I'm sure that's part of why they didn't increase the prize purse for this year because they didn't need to. For right? sure. Yeah, I I think that they I, if if the goal is increasing fandom, then they should invest in in ways to get the racing out to a wider audience. Um, I mean, they could. You know, I know that they're trying to do the drive to survive model where they release the entire series, you know, I don't know, months after the series has happened, but they may want to. And I know, I know that this is such a pain for the editors of that series. I edit 
YouTube videos. I know that editing a YouTube video is not the same as editing, a, <laughs> editing like basically a TV show, but pe- but people, good editors I mean, can edit very fast. Um, I mean, they're, yeah. you know, look at Cape Epic, for example, like those episodes come out the later that day. Uh, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, like a whole, a whole summary of the entire stage comes out later that day. Uh, good editors can edit fast is what I'm saying is maybe, you know, maybe the, the episode for sea otter drops a week or two weeks after sea otter. So it's still fresh on people's mind. And then people are like, Oh man, I need to tune in for unbound. Yeah. Which I mean, would- that is, re- that is really nice about like the Cape Epic stuff, right? Is that it's, I can, you know, the race is happening pretty much while we're asleep here in the U S and then I can wake up in the morning by lunchtime. I can figure out what happened and then tune in for the next day. So there is like a, there is like a, an urgency that needs to happen. Cause I mean, you know, sea otter happens and I know by the afternoon who won. And then I read everybody's 12 page report on Instagram later that day. <laughs> and I know like how the race played out and, whatever beef has happened. And then they release yeah. the video and it's like, I mean, I already know all the, all the details all of the who ju- flatted yeah, and all the juicy crashed details. out who and whatever. So for sure. I, so what I do you think, what do you think about like, like one thing that I think is hard to follow with the series is that the events are so space space so far apart. Mm-hmm. You know, like mm-hmm. Seattle to unbound is like six weeks. And then the, it's about a month cadence yeah. Mm-hmm. Per event after that, it gets a little bit more like congested in like the latter half of the season, but either way, um, like, what do you think about like condensing the season? And it's tough to do cause like their, their events already exist. So I don't know how they could do that, but like, it just seems like it, it's, it's easy to lose people's attention because they like tune in for sea outer and then like, they're not tuning in for six weeks. Like what, what content is there for them to tune into? That's what I'm weeks. saying. They need to do a content drop in between Sea Otter and Unbound about Sea Otter to get people stoked for Unbound. And also it's it's you know more on people's mind if Sea Otter just happened and now they're watching a 30-minute docuseries about Sea Otter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean I I feel like I feel like for sure you can, you know, you could condense the season, right? I know that we're so tied because these events have been going on for so long. We're you know, super tied to, you know, unbound happens the first weekend of June and, you know, this race happens then and this race happens then, but like, I don't know. I mean, they're, they're dates. Like you can, you can move those and, and maybe you have some constrict, you know, some confounding factors that make it so that you can't have a, a schwam again in whenever it is September or October timeframe. Um, yeah. Like the reason but, why unbound is when it is, is because it's very close to the longest day of the year, which gives the people who are racing the sun, the most sun light possible for them mm, to finish mm, without having sense. to use lights. Mm, yeah. yeah. I, I mean the, so because someone mentioned like drive to survive, I feel like that was, <clears throat> that sports an exception. And I think this year is, there's so there's so many races that are happening, but because of the the drama that they've created through four or five seasons of that show, mm-hmm. like thankfully they're cycling, but otherwise I would be bored of like I, waiting I for, really, for a week to go by to watch the next race. I would really like to talk to, for example, Sophia, um, because I know on that show on on the on the Call of a Lifetime series they. 
they made her look very intense. And I don't know if that's because she, and, and I just don't know her very well. I don't know if that's because she is very intense or if that's how they made her look like they mm. chose the most intense clips and only showed those. And then the people watching are like, Whoa, <laughs> you know, um, she is now the villain. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I mean, it, like it'd be cool to have her on and see if she thought whether if she thought that they accurately portrayed her or if she thought that they, you know, they didn't accurately portray her. I don't know. Yeah. Tough to, I'll be right back. Okay. I don't know. Tough, tough to say. I mean, that's the, that type of stuff, like obviously drives some, some drama and some viewership and people start to come up with opinions about, mm-hmm. about certain writers. But I mean, the as a rider like if you're a nice if you're a nice person and then all of a sudden you're portrayed as this villain like do you just kind of lean into that then do you just lean into like okay well i'll i'll be the like does pete stetna lean into being the the gravel villain you know with his uh his little goatee and pointy mustache is, and, is pete, everything is pete stetna the gravel villain i i think he kind of got portrayed that way just because of some of the he came in and and some of the stuff that he yeah. was complaining about it was like okay bro come on um yeah i don't know i mean i think you just got to be true to yourself i don't think you should lean into anything um but it's about the content yeah 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 <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I know I know that a lot of drive like the F1 drive to survive, a lot of the drivers are annoyed that the series is making things over dramatic when they're really not that dramatic. Uh mm-hmm. and I I do I I wasn't I wasn't part of the lifetime docu series at all and I have no idea whether they made things more dramatic or less dramatic. I mean, if anything they made them more dramatic, right? Mm-hmm. Um yeah, I don't know. Um yeah, I I in answer to Daniel's question there, I mean, I think that they need to do stuff around the content. Mm-hmm. Uh, if if their if their goal is the fandom, then I would invest that money in the content. Maybe um, maybe get those those uh, that docu series out a little bit faster. Like in between races, might be a good thing. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. There's a really interesting um, YouTube channel called Athletic Interest, and they do all sorts of kind of inside stories about athletes and or teams and like they, I think I think there's one in there about how Formula One like cracked the code in the US market, right? Mm-hmm. And it, it's it's goes into so much detail of how this was like a multi year plan for Formula One to slowly chip away at breaking into the US market where there's, you know, because it, I would say largely Formula One up until they launched Drive to Survive was a, a European market, right? There mm-hmm. weren't like a ton. I mean, I knew people who watch Formula One, but, you know, it's like, okay, they're just, you know, kind of a niche. It's a niche fan base, I guess. Sure. Um, and I feel like, to your point, you know, a lot of investment in content went the way, like, that's how they manage it by making YouTube clips where, you know, if you go on the Formula One YouTube page now, you can watch everything from race recaps to driver interviews to like historic, um, mm-hmm. you know, look backs at races to tech and like what talking someone walking through a 30 minute video walking through like what's Red Bull doing with their floor or how do like the wings work on the on the backs of the cars, like all of this stuff. So they're catering to anybody and everybody that might be interested in in yeah. Formula One. And I think you need to see that with the Lifetime Grand Prix is they need to invest in not just 
let's tell the story and, and make it dramatic between the riders and the characters who are racing, but also let's talk about, you know, the tech, let's talk about like, let's create short form content on Instagram reels and then long form content on YouTube and really try to, again, pull people in from, from multiple avenues as opposed to, you know, let's just launch this YouTube series and then hope that people find it yeah. interesting and, and watch it. Yeah. All right, Daniel, that's, that's, that's our answer. Content. They need more content. <laughs> Boom. That was a lo- that was a rather long discussion to come to that conclusion, but I'm glad we hashed it out. <laughs> I mean, on that, on that note, like back before, uh, again, if you want to be a Patreon, uh, you want to have your question interjected mid episode, didn't, uh, you know, donate on Patreon, but, um, the, like it'll be interesting to see what kind of content like the NCL comes up with, right? Like they have the contract with GCN to broadcast these races. Um, I'm, I know I'll be tuning in mostly just to see like, how the hell is this thing supposed to work? <laughs> like what is happening? How is it, how is it scored? Um, et cetera. And yeah, I don't know. It'll be, I'm keen to see they've been pretty, like there hasn't been a ton of content released um, currently. So I'm interested to see what comes out here yeah. uh, for the, over the next day and, and this weekend. So this is the Bonk Bros co- podcast, aka Tire Talk podcast. So I have I have a tire related <laughs> conversation. So this is obviously right, the week of Perry Roubaix. Uh, for those listening, Perry Roubaix, while we're talking about it right now, has not happened yet. So we don't know what happens. It's a European gravel race, <laughs> right? The the original gravel race. <laughs> Um, so Yumbo is using a, oh man, I should have, I should have a tab open, uh, with exactly what this thing called is called, but basically it's a thing in the hub that adjusts the pressure of their tires on the fly. No way. Have you not seen this? No. Something Grava something. What? I haven't heard of this. All right. So they've got, they've got a thing in their hub that adjusts the pressure of their tires on the fly. And the there's there's some data that shows some pretty dramatic uh, power differences between having your it's put out by this company in order to promote their product. But it's showing some pretty dramatic power differences between, say, having your tire pressure at, uh, you know, having a low pressure on the cobbles. So I, I don't know what 40 PSI, 40, 50 PSI versus what you would have it on the road, like 70 or 80 PSI. And they're saying, this is why this thing is so much faster at Roubaix is because so much of Roubaix is paved, but there are these gnarly cobble sections, which basically means that you, in this race, you need, you need your tire pressure to be dramatically different depending on the, on what part of the race you're riding on and uh, picking one pressure for the entire race is, you know, it's always going to be a compromise. Um, so it's pretty fascinating. Um, and I'm very interested to see what happens this weekend. And honestly, if a Yumbo rider wins, probably Wout, if it's going to be a Yumbo rider, but it could be someone else. If a Yumbo rider wins, I, this is the kind of thing that'll probably be on every bike next year at Dude, This thing is sick. Kinetic air pressure system. It's an onboard tire uh, inflation system found in both the front and rear hubs. Mm-hmm. I just messaged my buddy who's a mechanic for Yumbo, so we'll see if he gets back to me. 
Okay. Oh, dude. Before this Sweet. podcast is over. What'd you ask him? Is it true? Is it true that Wout is going to be using the, uh, in tire inflator deal? I think it is, man. I mean, I could be wrong. You, you know, they can change I, stuff up before race day, but I could definitely see, I could definitely see like, I don't know. I don't know about those top favorites though, using that, but it is, it is interesting that you could why wouldn't, potentially, why wouldn't the top favorites use it? Ah, uh, dude. I mean, you know how like traditional those guys are. I mean, people were still riding on tubulars last weekend. And probably this weekend. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so, so, so this thing's interesting. So, so it says that the cap system is a highly fi- energy efficient. Specifically, they say that one kilometer of riding can inflate a gravel tire by up to fourteen and a half psi. So, so it's not like um, there's not like a reservoir that like holds the air. It it yeah, uses it, it like does, I, mean, I guess that's where the kinetic. It does cost right. It does it it, it costs. Uh, I think it's four watts to either inflate uh, uh, deflating should obviously be no power, but I think to inflate it, it's something like four Watts of power lost while you're inflating it. So it's not like, I mean that, but as long as you're in the, in the, in the group, but yeah. So, so I think that, I think it's, you know, uh, four, four Watts of power loss can be significant, but if it's at a part of the race, that's not that spicy. Um, it's probably not a huge deal, especially if you're going to see, like a 20 watt gain or something on the cobble sections uh, or road sec or following road sections by having the right pressure. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So yeah, it says it can drop 14 and a half PSI in three seconds. So that great. I mean, that's, that's gotta be huge before you go ripping on like you're a, so you're on nice smooth pavement and then coming up is the, yeah. the Arnberg forest, like, I'd yeah. for sure want to be missing 14 pounds, 14 pounds of air before I rip into the, uh, the Arnberg there for sure. Yeah. So they've got some data here. Um, and the conclusion says a rider can experience power gains in the range of up to 49 Watts over terrain, similar to what the riders will experience at Perry Roubaix. I don't doubt so, it. So my, my big thing with Perry Roubaix tires for probably two or three years now, um, ever since I've started getting really tuned into gravel tire width, right. Ever, ever since I sort of became a gravel tire width nerd, uh, my big thing with Perry Roubaix is that they're just not right running wide enough tires for that race. Um, and every, everybody who knows anything about that race always says, well, you know, the vast majority of that race is on pavement and only a little bit of it is cobbles. Like, I don't know, it's 20% cobbles or something, which is actually, you know, it's not a lot of the race, but the race is not a time trial, right? It's not a time trial where you're only going to be on cobbles for 20% of the race. Oftentimes the race is won and lost on the cobble sections. So picking a bike that's optimal for the spots of the race where the race is won and lost can obviously be more important Um, and also I don't, I think, I don't think people realize that, uh, if you've got a very supple wide tire, there's, there's very little loss to a, you know, a supple narrower tire on smooth pavement. Um, it is less aerodynamic and it is particularly less aerodynamic when we're talking about road bikes because wide tires basically make, uh, aerodynamic rims useless aerodynamically speaking. Mm. Um, but so it is there it's, it's not, it, you know, it's not like they're not losing anything. They are losing a little bit, but, um, personally, you know, and I don't, I've never ridden 
Roubaix cobbles, and I've never done the race. So just take this with a grain of salt. But I think that probably we're just going to continue to see the tire size grow. And really what it's coming down to now is how much clearance do the frames have. And if they keep if if we continue to see this trend where road bikes are getting more and more clearance for tires, which seems to be the case, I think I think that the optimal tire size for, for Roubaix could be, I don't know, 40 or 42 millimeters wide, honestly. Jeez. It would just have to be a very or supple. 42. <laughs> it would just have to be a very supple, very fast 40 or 42 millimeter tire. Wow. And to prove, prove and to prove my point about this, um, I'm going to be referencing GCN. So just, but GCN had a video where they ha- they tested a mountain bike, a, I, th- I believe a gravel bike and a road bike on the cobbles to see which one was faster at, at race speed and at race power output. The road bike was the slowest and the mountain bike was the fastest. And a mountain bike is so much less aerodynamic than a road bike. I mean... So when you throw out these numbers like, oh, that it could be a 49 watt advantage to some people, they're like, okay, all right. Yeah, it's just marketing. I believe it. And I I think that I think that when we start talking about cobbles and having the right tire versus the wrong tire, you could absolutely be talking about rolling resistance losses of 40 watts, 50 watts, 60 watts. I mean, for a mountain bike to be faster than a road bike on a on on Was a that flat with, road with, with flat bars too yeah with flat bars and a suspension wow. fork <laughs> that's insane yeah. that, for a mountain bike to be faster than a road bike on a flat road at race speed that means that the the you know improved rolling resistance of having 2.2 mountain bike tires had to be a lot <laughs> had to be a lot you, you know it had to be a massive improvement over the the road bike with standard road tires hey uh, hey hey Matthew, if you're listening you heard it here first. Mountain bike's going to be the fastest bike tomorrow. So now I'm not. I'm not suggesting that a mountain bike is the fastest bike for the race because again, there's a lot of there's a lot of road in. It's mostly road, but what I am saying is that it needs. To, they need to be running wider than thirty or thirty two millimeter tires. So I I haven't looked at like the the rule book, but is there a rule about running a suspension fork in? I don't think there is, dude. They were they they were going down that route a couple years ago. Like Pinarello was going down that route. If you look at really old pictures of Roubaix, I think maybe from the '90s they had suspension forks and yeah, yeah. And it's hard to like what delineates suspension. You know, like Specialized has had their Roubaix soft tail inserts and things like that. Inserts. Yeah. Well, so here's what I was gonna say. I think it is it. Who is it that makes it? Like Rockshox makes that like. Basically, it's like a. Is it a gravel fork? It, it looks rigid, but it's got basically like two stanchions at the bottom. Essentially, oh. like would that not be? I can't remember if it's Rockshox, but I saw it on someone's bike earlier this week um, in town. And like, yeah. I feel like that would be the perfect fork to have something that is because if you, obviously if you run like a take for example like a Fox Thirty Two, right? Like that is not aerodynamic, but yeah. to have something where if you take the flip of that, and I don't know all the technical you terms, mean the Rockshox RS one, like the fork that they had, the upside down fork from a couple of years yeah, ago. Exactly, exactly. If you take that one and like run that on a road bike, well, then you have the you know the benefit of the the suspension. But 
perhaps the you can make that more more aerodynamic um yeah in a way they there are definitely things they could do to make suspension forks more aerodynamic it would be probably at a, a, a weight penalty and i think that's maybe why they haven't done it yet because especially like in xc racing like weight is still like gold you know, like everyone wants right. the lightest fork um but there are certainly things that they could do to make it more aerodynamic yeah but i mean like in a race like Paris roubaix where you know there's 10 feet of climbing for the whole race like i mean yeah no it doesn't it doesn't matter yeah i feel like that's a minimum penalty to pay yeah um they could go down the suspension route but i think i i think the suspension route could be an interesting route to go down although they've already gone down the suspension route and they've pretty much abandoned that i mean people are running their super rigid aero road bikes there um and i mean you know aerodynamics matters a lot especially for a flat race like that uh mm-hmm. i think that what they need to do is go down the wider tire route i mean tires have already gotten wider there you know 30 to 32 millimeters is already wider than what they were 10 years ago 15 years ago 20 years ago but they they need to go wider like i i and i think so, they i think they will go wider it just takes a while for you know cycling is so traditional it just takes a while for them to get there yeah so so you just dropped your i think probably first of the maybe a lot of other videos from the wind tunnel or maybe that's the only one i don't know that'll be um, the only one okay well I anyways just, i thought about doing a two-parter but i i just decided to do it all in one video okay so you just dropped your your video from the wind tunnel mm-hmm. um did you test like a 42 millimeter tire versus a 47 millimeter tire versus a 30 millimeter tire we tested 35 40 and 45 and there was uh okay, what were the, what were those differences there was um uh, i'm trying to remember off the top of my head i don't know something like a two watt or three watt difference going from the 35 to the 40 and then a four or five watt difference going from the 35 to the 40 five 35 40, to the, 35 to the 45 so as the tire increases in width it gets less aerodynamic which is obvious i mean most people <laughs> could tell you that without thank you thank you for that insight <laughs> well i mean we backed it up in the wind tunnel i mean wider tires yeah. are less aerodynamic and that's what i said a, a wider tire is going to be less aerodynamic but, but we're I, talking a handful of watts instead of like a, a dozen handfuls of watts sure so i mean i think that all, if if the race was a hundred percent cobbles which it's not we have to take that into account obviously but if the race was a hundred percent cobbles i think the optimal bike would be like one of these uh beach racing bikes that have 2.3s but drop bars you know what i'm saying yeah, it said that that's what that caps system was developed for was beach racing yeah I mean, if the race was 100% cobbles, that's probably the bike that would be the fastest for that race, right? So obviously a road bike with 32s is so far from optimal for the cobbles. Like it's a very, it's, it's very far away from being optimal. But the reason why they're running a road bike is because so much of the race is paved. Um, and I don't know, I think, I think that you, I think that you just have to take into account where the race is won and lost, um, and I think that there's still this mentality that you're losing a lot in rolling resistance with wide tires. And I think part of that is because there's very few companies doing super supple uh, casing fast race tires in a 40. Uh, like the only company that I can think of is Challenge with their uh, Strada Bianchi tire. 
you know, they make the straw to, and, well, and Renee Hurst, right? Yeah. Renee Hurst too, I guess. Yeah. I mean the, the lightweight casing Renee Hurst would be dude. Maxis has the refuse. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. I saw, I saw a, I saw someone post like, Oh yeah, I got to strap on the refuse. And I had to, because I've been on this podcast for a few months now, I had to re- er- resist the urge to just like talk, tell that person like, are you, why? What strap, why? On, <laughs> strap on the refuse? Well, a strap on the refuse to get me through winter without getting a flat. I mean, that's fine, but a strap on the refuse yeah. to go fast. <laughs> nah, not so much. I got a, res- I got a response back from uh, my source and just said, it's possible that Wout could use it. So it's we'll find possible. out. It's possible. <laughs> All right. I heard it here first. It's possible. <laughs> it's possible. Um, so it, it says that they, they, the hubs, each hub weighs about a half a pound more than a normal hub. Yeah. And it's four watts per hub. So effectively eight, eight watts. watts. Yep. So it's definitely, it's definitely, you know, hashtag worth it. Yeah. I mean, again, for Roubaix, the half pound weight is, I don't think that's a big deal. Uh, eight Watts. Depends on what the race scenario is, right? You know, eight watts if they're just chilling, it's not a big deal. Eight watts if they're on the rivet and all of a sudden you got to get your tire pressure up, but you're costing yourself eight watts. That's significant. Yeah, but think about it like you you finish the the penultimate section of cobbles, and then all you've got left is the the last little ceremonial bit before you turn the velodrome right into the velodrome. Like I'd much rather be sprinting on sixty seventy. You know, yeah. PSI tires than some that are set at 35 or 40. Or like that. No, a hundred percent. A hundred percent. I agree. You think this technology will make it, make its way into gravel at some of these races that are, you know, 50% paved, 50% gravel. You could be the first hit them up. Yeah. I mean, I could see like, yeah, BWR <laughs> style races. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how much of a weights of a weight penalty is, cause it doesn't talk about this. It just talks about the benefit on the cobbles. Yeah. How how much rolling resistance is lost at 35 psi versus 65 psi on pavement? I think it so I I'm going off of Renee Hurst has a lot of interesting articles on tire rolling resistance in general. Um some people think that the Renee Hurst data can't be trusted at all. Uh I think it can be trusted a bit. I I mean I don't live and die by Renee Hurst data, but um it's just interesting. <laughs> And at least they're doing testing and publishing it, is what I'll say, as opposed yeah. to people just saying how they feel about certain, you know, which yeah, is... Yeah, who does that? <laughs> you know, this tire felt fast. This tire felt slow. Okay, great. Um, at least they're actually doing something to try to figure out what, you know, uh, figure out some of the answers to this question. They claim that um, if you have a... So if you have a tire that's not supple, like the Refuse the tire pressure matters a lot on pavement. The optimal tire pressure for pavement matters a lot because if it's too low, um, you know, the, the effect of the hysteresis is going to more, more greatly affect the rolling resistance loss. But if you have a very supple tire, um, like the kind of kinds of tires that they run at Roubaix, very supple cotton, you know, cotton sidewall tire, then there's, there's very little penalty to running a pressure that's too low. Uh, and there's actually greater penalty. Like is it less than 8 watts? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. But their claim is that the 
there there's you, you know you can almost i i want to pull up the article right now but i think their claim is that it's almost like you can run whatever uh whatever whatever pressure on pavement and it it makes hardly any difference at all because the suppleness of the tire is uh you know the the loss from hysteresis is not that great so it doesn't really mm. matter if that is the case then it means that this whole pressure adjusting thing is kind of useless because they're already running super supple tires. Um, and so I don't know. I don't know the, I don't know the answers to that question. I just, that's a, uh, Renee Hurst has, has some interesting articles. I would go check them out. I don't agree with everything. Dude, here's where I, I could see says, this being, I could see this being beneficial in something like an unbound. No, you, dude, like, because unbound. No, no, stop, stop. <laughs> okay. Just, <all> right. <laughs> <laughs> here's why dude if you if you get like a puncture and you have a slow leak oh, and then it's sealed and, it's just, and now you're at like 20 psi yeah dude you just freaking crank that thing up over the next few kilometers and like boom you're back at 30 yeah i was gonna say that unbound is like basically all gravel so there's no reason to adjust your pressure throughout the race but yeah that does make sense it's just for reinflation purposes so you don't have to like sure. stop and yeah, what if you up. what if you have a slow leak too and then you just pump that thing on and you know you just take that four watt penalty for the rest of the race so that the co- tire constantly it just, reinflates it just like, <laughs> <laughs> there's gotta um, be a limit though right like there there's only like is there like a bat it's kinetic though right so it doesn't like run out of battery or anything like that i, I don't know so if you're saying it. adam um no there's there's definitely like a little motor in there and there's gotcha. got to be battery powered I don't know because mm-hmm. it's got a controller that's electronic. Mm. So, yeah, I don't I don't know what like powers the actual motor in the system, but um, I would imagine that it'd have a pretty decent runtime. All right, yeah. I did put out a um, I did put out a poll on my YouTube channel about this Perry Roubaix tire question. Um, I said it's Perry Roubaix Perry Roubaix week, and one thing that has always fascinated—it's Masters Week, bro. It's Masters Week. <laughs> fascinated me about the race is the tech. There is a lot of emphasis placed on tires, and tire size has gotten a lot bigger over the years. As of right now, most teams will be on thirty to thirty-two millimeters. Do you think that this is the optimal size for Roubaix, or will tires at this race continue to grow? And the possible answers that you can choose from, they should be narrower. It's the right size. They will continue to grow. It doesn't matter. It's all about the strength of the rider. And I have no idea. And did anyone respond? (laughs) 3,000 people have responded. (laughs) What? 3,000 people read that huge (laughs) poll? That thing was long. (laughs) So fortunately, only 2% think that the tires should be narrower. Um, and 41% say it's the right size. 35% say they will continue to grow. Um, Pretty split. How yeah. many people said they don't know? 13. And 9% says it doesn't matter. It's all about the strength of the rider. Wow. Which, I mean, um, if you've got an extra 49 watts to throw around, sure. Yeah. 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 It's, it, it, I do, it is interesting to me when people throw up. So I see both, I see people doing two different sides of this argument almost simultaneously. So sometimes people say, you know, when talking about equipment and whether or not equipment matters or not, right? Um, Sometimes people will say like, oh, the pros are so fast, like it doesn't even matter what they ride. They're just so fast. You know, they could beat me on a tricycle. True. Okay. Um, And then 
I also see people say, well, like equipment doesn't matter for the average Joe, but if you're a pro, it matters a lot because, you know, those pros are, they're really, they're really tightly matched. Uh, uh, I see, I see those arguments both quite frequently on the internet. Um, and they're both kind of valid. Well, they're both valid in that a pro could beat an average Joe on a tricycle and a pro like uh, equipment changes matter more because yes, the competition is tighter at the pro level. So yes, both is valid. Um, and uh, I don't know. I think both of them are used as arguments for why equipment doesn't matter. But I, I think at a race like Perry Roubaix, you'd be shocked at how much equipment matters. I mean, it's one of those races where your race could easily end by getting a flat tire, right? Because your yeah. team made a terrible tire choice. Like for example, quick step, uh, quick step one year ran, I don't know, whatever they ran tubes or something like they ran latex tubes at Roubaix and like all of their riders flatted. Right. So that's obviously an equipment choice that just screwed over all of their riders. Um, so, I mean, that's, that's a very there, obvious I'm surprised one, there isn't a team that has just like pulled the wild card and puts all their riders on like the diverge STR bike. You know, it's like, Dude. let's just, let's just put them on gravel bikes. You know, gravel is kind of the big thing right yeah. now. Like, let's just, you know, I mean, they would certainly at the very least, they would certainly get some publicity. I was actually, I wish Scott was on right now because I was actually texting Scott about this. I wish that, uh, the Israel team that's sponsored by factor, I wish they would just run the Astro gravel because it's essentially the Astro road bike with bigger tire clearance. And then they could run forties or 42s. And, uh, at the very least they'd get a lot of publicity for it. You know, even if they, they didn't, even if they didn't win the race, maybe they will. They didn't. They didn't invite you to their team camp. No. <laughs> maybe they'll have the uh, the quad lock on there as well, so they can all navigate. <laughs> quad lock. Yeah, dude. Chris Room loves that thing. Yeah, I bet he. I bet he loves the paycheck that he's getting from quad lock for sure. Um. Wow. But yeah. I mean, I I think that would be sick if like a team was just like, let's just try something completely different and see what happens. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think they should. Yeah. If Perry Roubaix was one on a gravel bike, you know how many mines that would blow? (laughs) That would be amazing. People would lose their, people would lose it. All these old European mechanics would just like not know what to do. Obviously they just (laughs) say say no, they just replace it with road bikes. Uh Like you don't even have the option. They just give you a road bike pumped to 90 PSI. Yeah. They say this is, this is not possible. So, um, well, for a week that I thought we didn't have that much to talk about, we haven't even gotten to listener questions and we're already 11 minutes over an hour. Yeah. Yeah. That was, we were, we were going to just hit listener questions hard the whole should time. We, should we at least answer like one or two just to, we answered one. Oh yeah. I guess we did, but that, yeah. All right. <laughs> um, yeah, we, we can, I like, there's like a bunch of messages on the Instagram too, that I like purposely didn't even open up yet because I didn't want to like mark them as red. Mm. yeah well, let's, um, let's hit let's hit one or two of them before we all go. right should we, should we do it from instagram sure all right i have no idea what we're getting into because obviously i've not read these yet <laughs> good oh look first picture chase work must be his birthday um holy gosh there's a whole bunch we have 10 in the request spin wow um okay well i'm gonna go from oldest to newest so Hello, Bonk Brothers. My indoor trainer, Tax Neo, has oh, indeed. Oh, no, dude. We already answered this one. Tax Neo, Bonk Brothers. What? This is your dad? No. I made the same <laughs> joke last week. <laughs> I, made, I literally what? made the exact same. The person said, Hey, Bonk Brothers. 
And then yeah. I was like, that's probably my dad. And then they started talking about the tax Neo. And I was like, no, my dad, it doesn't. has a built in rumble pack. Ooh, maybe we didn't. No, we didn't do this. Dude, one. I'm having deja vu. All right. Yeah. Continue. <laughs> this one's, this one's comes from Timon. <laughs> okay. Um, he says, hello, bonk brothers. My indoor trainer tax Neo indeed has a built in rumble pack. It vibrates when I shred the gnarly gravel on Zwift. So my question for the podcast is, <laughs> should I adjust my front tire <laughs> pressure to compensate <laughs> <laughs> for the vibration to get some marginal gains? <laughs> That's hilarious. Dude, obviously uh, he's I can't missing tell out if he's serious or not. Is this a real thing? Is this a real thing? I'm trying to I'm trying to look I'm trying to look here if it actually has <laughs> I think Jerome's punking us right now. <laughs> okay. That's really funny. Should he address should he adjust his tire pressure to get marginal gains on here, the trainer? It's on the it's on the page. This road field, this feature works with tax software or the Zwift app to make the trainer vibrate and simulate the feeling of riding on different road surfaces such as cobblestone and gravel. Wow. Wow. So the next question is, is, is he actually serious? I mean, dude, I mean, I think, he's, you know, I think he's joking around. <laughs> yeah. But think about, think about all the, the Watts that he's losing, not being able to like, you know, absorb that with his body through the front wheel. I feel like he should lower it at least a couple of PSI. How does it, gains. how does it work? How does it, how does this thing work? I I don't know. If anybody wants I'm to send us a tax like, um, EO2, we'll try it out. Yeah, like like some of the trainers now have like a thing where you mount your front, like where your front... Oh, no, because he has a front wheel. I don't know. I don't know how this works. Sick. Yes, lower your front tire pressure. Dude, I feel like everyone's punking us now. There's like seven people <laughs> that, that texted in and said, hey, Bonk Brothers. Oh, my god, your, your, dad's, <laughs> your dad's trending on the internet right now. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Just just pick one at random. We're doing another one? That wasn't even a question, dude. That was a punk. <laughs> that was a that was an obvious answer. Okay. Obviously lower Obviously the lower pressure. the tire pressure. Obviously. And yeah. obviously make sure you've got 47s on. Exactly. Dude, okay. also the the amount of people commenting 47 Pathfinder at at on my YouTube channel or on my Instagram, <laughs> there's so many people just commenting like 47 Pathfinder. <laughs> I, bet you, I bet you it's matt beers he just hired a bunch of people to go on there and like yeah. just comment that yeah okay well i picked this one at random and it's not random because i just picked it because it, they also said hello bonk brothers um <laughs> all right so just wondering if y'all had any advice on tips for bike comfort when moving up from four to six hour rides to eight to twelve hour rides big recommendations core workouts ways to adjust my bike fit keep up the great work justin Damn, dude, that's a long ride. Eight to 12 hours? Yeah. I mean, I would say, like, one, you should get probably get fit on your bike every every year. Um, that would be probably less. You mean getting a bike like, fit, you know, not, like, getting fitter. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, you should get fitter on your bike every year with the, with the coach. Shout out Ignition Coach Co. Um, but if you, yeah, I mean, like, your body changes so much. Um you're, we're all getting older. Like you should probably get fit and find the position that's most optimal for you. And, and yeah. optimal being not necessarily aerodynamic, but comfort for sure. Um, especially if you're not a, an elite rider or a professional rider that has hours to do yoga and to adapt to like a, you know, 170 millimeter stem position. I, I highly doubt that 
professional writers are doing yoga for hours. <laughs> well, I mean, they like they can they have the time at least. They, 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 at least hours. they have at least right. at least if they wanted to do yoga for hours, they have the time yeah. to do yoga for hours. They have they have the financial incentive to be flexible enough to get into an aerodynamic position. But I would say for sure, like one, get fit on your bike to find a position that's comfortable and efficient for you, and a hundred percent do some core work if you're going for those longer hours. And that's like everything from your shoulders, like onward, just like build up a stable core. It's good. Those are good call outs. Um, I, I, so I agree with all of that and I'll just add a little personal anecdote here. Um, yeah, when, get the rule twenty eight chamois. If you get the arrow socks, you'll actually save. <laughs> you'll you ride get, for seven hours and forty nine minutes. Yeah, for a twelve get, hour ride, you'll shave four hours off. <laughs> no, so um, after the off season, when I start putting a lot of time in on my drop bar bike, whether that be the road bike or the gravel bike, um, my shoulders will get really sore while I'm riding and my neck, my neck and my shoulders will be particularly sore when I go on long rides. Uh, this is when I've been doing, you know, I don't know, 10 hours a week in the off season, like not riding that much. And then I start doing 15 hours a week, 20 hours a week, 25 hours a week. And the first month I would say my shoulders and my neck are quite sore. And then after that I get used to it and it's fine and I don't experience issues. And also just to add to that, um, I've found that the best way to relieve arm pump from doing long downhills on a mountain bike is to just do long downhills on the mountain bike. And that's not to say that you can't address some of these issues in the gym, but sometimes the best way to achieve these issues is to go out and do the thing that you want, that are, that you're trying to do, and your body will naturally adjust to that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in the same way that we structured training to allow for compensation, right. From, from all the work that we do, like if you're riding for long periods of time, like I get the same thing. My neck and shoulders are tired after my first three hour ride. And yeah, I mean, eventually you just get, you just get used to it. But of course, Jim, and I don't want to say, I don't, I don't say I get used to it get used to it. Meaning I just like put up with it. I'm like, well, I guess my shoulders are going to hurt. I mean, my shoulders don't hurt anymore. After yeah, like yeah. a month of doing that. Yeah. And so, I, I mean, I feel like if you do some, some gym work, particularly targeting like the posterior chain and, mm-hmm. or activation exercises before you get on the bike, like all of that will for sure help, um, in the long yeah. run. Hey, just a question. Did, did, did the recording stop while, when I cut out? No, still going. Okay, good. Apparently you have to plug your computer into the wall, not just into your computer. <laughs> So my, Wait, computer what? Died. my computer died. Your computer died. just died? Yeah. It looks like the recording's still happening. I mean, if not, we were, <laughs> you know, we've been going for long enough that it's not a big deal, but. <laughs> okay, cool. Sweet. All right, well. Is that it? Um, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know exactly what you guys covered, but I'm assuming that you answered uh, his question our advice, our advice was just run wider tires at lower pressure. Oh yeah, <laughs> and we talked crap about you. We were like, "Can you believe this, Adam guy? His God, dumb three. opinions on NCL." Dude, I saw you did like a three-hour <laughs> Zwift ride the other day. It's a why me? Yeah, you. 
Why? Dude, because it's the weather here has been junk, dude. What what tire pressure so, did you run? <laughs> man, I actually I was running it, I, I almost got it flat on my trainer bike because I hadn't pump, I hadn't pumped up the front tire in like probably two years. Two so like, years. <laughs> yeah. It's got tubes in it. I mean that thing lasts forever. Um but I like got out of the saddle and I like hit rim. I was like, oh crap, I'm gonna flat my my trainer wow. bike. So oh, I, I did just pump it up. So it's probably at like ninety now. What's your right. trainer bike? What bike is it? Yeah, like um, it's an eighth model it's, year. It's a specialized Roubaix. Hmm. I don't know what year. That's it's cr- got, it's got disc brakes. You're ready for the cobbles, man. Dude, seriously. Exactly. It, my trainer bike has never been outside. It's only ever been on the trainer. Wow. wow. <laughs> you bought that bike just to ride it indoors. It just stays indoors, yeah. Wow, that's crazy. All right. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, that's it's super clean. Um, do you ever replace the chain, or do you just let it stretch out? No, nah, dude, that thing's <laughs> <laughs> still going. Oh, it's probably got like, um, probably got like eight thousand miles on it. I mean, not that many. You, you know, need like to I put don't... a you need to put a chain checker on it and uh, tell us how stretched that thing is before the next podcast. It's definitely stretched, but like I look at the cogs, like the cogs are still fine. The do you chain lube, rings are do fine. Do you lube the chain, or do you not even bother? Because you're indoors. <laughs> you don't need to lube it, dude. It doesn't get <laughs> dusty. Yeah, sure. I mean, I lube it like once a season, probably like at the beginning of the season. Like it's okay. it's honestly, dude, like never it, it never gets dirty. Like yeah, you don't wow. have to do much to it. It's awesome. That's right. why I don't ride it outside. Yeah. Plus, you know, I don't even have you ever, a road bike anyways. Have you ever freshly lubed a chain and then ridden the trainer and then the lube just sprays all over your floor? <laughs> no, but I've yes. I've like I've freshly lubed my outdoor bike and that happens. Yeah. Like sprays yeah. all over your shoe. Sure. Yep. Yeah, I mean I, I don't use lube. I use wax, so I wouldn't know about that, but <laughs> Yeah, see, if you use wax on your trainer bike, you'd you would definitely have to rewax your your chain. No, bike you wouldn't. Once dude. a month. Yeah, no, you, you wouldn't, <laughs> dude. When that wax goes away, it just it turns into like steel on steel. I don't. Uh, do you you should just. Yeah, you should steel just run it with like a little bit of grease in there. You should just run it no lube. Just do steel on steel for a little bit of extra uh, resistance there. Yeah, that that way I can get. 80 miles instead of 8,000 miles on the chain. <laughs> yeah. Um, hold on. I'm going to do one more because I accidentally opened someone else's message. And if we don't read it, then we're going to forget about it's it. It's never going to be read. This one's from Brad and he wants to know, he's looking for the Altegra pedal of off-road. Something that is, that just works is light ish and easy to clip into Shimano XT done. The Altegra pedal of off-road is <laughs> Yeah, it's Shimano. It's Shimano. What? That's it. Discussion over. (laughs) Yes, no, Shimano. So Shimano. Actually, hold on. I take that back. You should get the Shimano 580s because they weigh the same as the XTs and they last just as long and they're like $40 or $50 cheaper. Yeah. So Shimano pedals, both road and mountain bike, last forever and work amazing. There are other pedal options out there, both for road and mountain bike, that are lighter if you care about that. Um, but yeah, if you're looking for easy to clip into and is going to last forever, Shimano is both road and mountain bike. Yeah. 
And XT XT is the off road version of Ultegra. So yeah, that's why I said that. But if you want to get like even a little, honestly, man, the XTRs are not that expensive. Just go go with the XTRs. The XTRs are super nice. Like there's a there's a sizable improvement going from the XT to the XTR. But yeah. the 580s to the XT, like they might as well be the same exact. The, and and the reason I say that is because I don't know whatever the next what, year, you know, the one that's like is. basically a hunk of metal that they just carved a pedal out of. You know what I'm saying? Not the not the no no not the like <laughs> super cheap ones that are like twenty bucks. Those ones, no, dude. I have a garbage. lot of I have a lot of pairs of those. I have a, those ones. Those, those are, are the ones I run those on like my trail bike and stuff. Well, yeah, it's fine for that. Yeah. No, I have a lot of pairs of those. No, no. Yeah, so Tyler, is it the 540s? It's the 540. They're $85 US, and there's a 10-gram difference. 342 for the 540s. Look oh, up the price of look up the price of XTRs right now. They're not that bad. 340 on. 342 grams for the XTs. 352 for the 540s. Let me look okay. up the, uh, the price. In the like, clip-in interface is like, identical. Like It feels the same. Yeah. They're solid, and then XTR pedals. I think they're like two hundred retail. Are three ten per gram? They're one hundred and eighty. XT. So just, so just XT get the XTRs, man. For a hundred bucks to get to, to to save, what is that? 40, 40 grams. 40, yeah, forty grams. Yeah, I mean, if you're not a weight weenie, I can see how you would want to go with the cheaper ones. But the XTRs work really well. Yeah, I that's mean, all, honestly that's my recommendation right there is to go with the XTRs. I know it's I know, and also 180 for a top of the line pedal is pretty good. Like the Crank Brothers Eggbeater 11s, which are going to last you one mud race, costs like four hundred and fifty dollars. Those are the yeah, ones Dylan uses, by the way. You shouldn't be, <laughs> you shouldn't be running the Eggbeaters anyways. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, the uh, so the XTs are one twenty five, and then the the five forties are eighty five. So, as someone who's uh, thinking about switching back to Shimano, what are you on now? Crank Brothers. Oh. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so the Eggbeater Eleven is insanely light. I mean, it's crazy how light the Eggbeater Eleven. It's like one hundred and eighty grams or something. It's so mm-hmm. light. So, if you're a major weight weenie, go with that one. But I personally don't like the way that they clip in as well and also uh they take a lot more maintenance but so. you still use them i do <laughs> <laughs> cool well there you go i think we're done all right happy masters happy weekend everyone <laughs> <laughs> cool see you guys peace see ya.